Well, uh, we have been looking the last few weeks at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we'll be back in it next week. But today is Resurrection Sunday, and so it's appropriate for us to take a little quick detour and look at, in a little more extended way, just what it is that we're celebrating and why it's worthy of celebration. And so to help us remember all this, I want everybody to hold up their left hand. Your left hand. All right, now, you've got five fingers on your left hand, and they are hugely significant. Because each one of these fingers has something to do with the Easter story that's important for you to remember. And I'm going to walk you through all of them here in the next few minutes, okay? So you can put your hands down, all right? Uh, you hold your eternal destiny in that hand. In those five fingers, understanding those five things, you're going to understand everything you need to know about how to enter into a relationship with God. And... Uh, that hand represents the gospel story and how to have eternal life instead of judgment and condemnation. If you understand what God has told us about Jesus Christ in the scriptures, you can know for certain today that when you die, exactly where you will go and what will happen to you on that day. That when your heart stops beating for the last time, and when your brain waves cease to fire, that when you open your eyes, what will await you is glory rather than anguish and separation from God. You can know that for certain according to the Bible. In fact, uh, the Apostle John writes in uh, the first, in the uh, fifth chapter of his first epistle, First John five. Chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. In other words, this is not something you have to wonder about. This is not something you have to think, well, no one can really know for sure. No, the Scripture says, quite the contrary, that you can know for sure. And Jesus promised that if you Put your trust in him. He says, the thief came to steal and to kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, that you might possess eternal life uh, both now and in the future, that you would have abundant life today and eternal life in glory with the Father forever and ever. And you could know for certain that you have it. Um, and so as, as we begin, hold up your thumb. How many of you have ever seen somebody out along the side of the road doing this? What are they looking for? A ride. And what kind of a ride? Free ride. All right, exactly. They're looking for a free ride. They're, they're wanting to get somewhere, and they've got no way of getting there on their own. So they got their thumb out because they're wanting a free ride. And... That free ride is exactly the way that you might summarize what is probably the last best word in the English language. It's this word. It's five letters. Grace. Grace. Grace means God's unmerited favor. It means receiving as a gift what you do not deserve and cannot earn. 
And our thumbs give us a good reminder about grace because just like a hitchhiker, if you see him out along the side of the road, they're wanting a free ride. We need a free ride. We need um, someone to achieve for us what we cannot achieve for ourselves. The Bible tells us something, uh, something very similar to that guy standing along the side of the road. That we cannot earn a place in heaven, and we do not have a way to get there on our own. And nevertheless, God offers us heaven as a free gift. According to uh, Romans 6.23, this is what God says there. He says, the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not something that you earn, not something you work for, not something you attempt to be good enough to deserve, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, and it has to be, by the way, a free gift because of what the Bible teaches us about us. Hold up your index finger. That represents you. Okay, you need a free gift because of what the Bible says about you and what the Bible says about me. Now, you know why this, this finger represents you? Because it represents you because this is the finger we use to point with, right? And what the Bible does is it points at us and it says that something is wrong with us. In fact, you know, it, when, it, when we go through the world and with this finger, a lot of times we point out a lot of stuff. Do you see that person over there? Or maybe some of you ladies, you know, lean over and you see some gal walk down the street and, and, and she's dressed inappropriately and you might say, did you see that woman? That one right there, right? Or, or we watch the news and we go, did you see that? Did you see that? Can you believe that happened, Right? And when we do that, what we're doing a lot of times is we're pointing out something that we know is wrong. But what does your mama tell you about pointing? When you point, there's three fingers pointing back at you. And that's true from a biblical perspective, too. Because you know what the short answer is to what's wrong with the world? I'll give it to you. I am. You are, we are, what's wrong with the world? Because there is something inside us, something that we don't control really, something that we are in fact born with according to the Bible, which drives us away from God and toward doing what we know to be wrong. In fact, the Bible calls that sin, and it says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. That what's wrong with the world is that we are here. And that we are the big problem. And that our actions together as human beings are what create and make the world the way it is. The messed up, broken, disgusting place that it often is. Is a result of all of us living here and interacting with one another and doing the things that we do that separate us from God and separate us from each other and cause us to go to war with each other and cause us 
to be broken in our relationships with each other and cause us psychological problems internally and all the rest of those kind of things are all a function of the fact that there's something deep within us that is broken that the Bible calls sin and that all of us possess. Um, And this means, by the way, that you cannot, because you're a sinner, earn your way into heaven. Well, actually you can, but there's a standard that you have to meet that's pretty high. Jesus put it this way. Be therefore perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want you to raise your hand if you are a perfect person. Okay, one guy right here, okay? Everybody else, though, is in real trouble, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Everybody else is in real trouble. Because if the standard that we have to meet is perfection, we're in a problem. And in fact, likelihood is if you think that you're perfect, that's just an indication that you're not. (laughs) Okay. Um, It's called pride. Okay. (laughs) Um, God's standard is perfection. And the Bible says that every person is a sinner. And then that presents us with a serious problem because of what the Bible says about God himself. Raise up this middle finger here next to these others. Right. This is the biggest finger on your hand. You know, why it's the, you know why it represents God? Because He is the greatest being in the universe. And the Bible tells us some things about God that having understood that we need a free ride because of what the Bible says about us, we now need to understand some things about God that make the problem even more complex. And the Bible tells us two things about God. Number one, it tells us that God is love. Everybody likes that part. Everybody has read that part out of their Bible. In fact, most people, if they know no other verses out of their Bible, know 1 John 4, 8, God is love. They like that. That sounds good. Makes them feel warm inside. It, It makes God seem very cuddly and very close to them. More like kind of a grandfather in heaven maybe than a father in heaven. God is love. And that's good. And he is. He absolutely is. God is the defining standard, in fact, of love in all the universe. That you cannot be more loving than God is. But the Bible also tells us something else which is simultaneously also true of God. That to the precise extent that he is love, to that same extent he is also just. And because God is love, he does not want to punish us for our sin. But because he is just, he has to punish sin. He has to. In fact, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, God says this of himself. He says, I will not leave the guilty unpunished. I will not leave the guilty unpunished. In other words, I love you, but if you violate my standards, if you violate my commands, if you are a sinner, then I will punish you for your sin. And the 
The Bible's very serious about that penalty. It says that the wages of sin is death. God's standard is you sin, you die. You spend you you die physically and then you spend eternity separated from God in hell. And a lot of people don't like God's justice and they don't like the fact that that there's another side to the coin to his love. But let me tell you, let me just give you an illustration from your life that you'll get right away. Suppose that you are pulled over for speeding. Now, I've only had that happen twice. I got a ticket both times. I've not done it since. <laughs> All right. But suppose that this happened to you and you were like me doing 89 and a 65 on a straight shot. <laughs> okay. It was exhilarating. Okay. <laughs> Besides which, don't judge, you do it too. <laughs> okay, I know some of you. You got those sports cars, or you got a motorcycle, some of you, and you didn't get that for nothing, all right? You want it so you could put the hammer down, right? You get pulled over for speeding, and you say to the officer, officer, you must understand I'm a good person. And besides which, I may be speeding, but I am on my way to church at Chili Bible. Okay? Now, is the officer going to still write you the ticket? Yes, he is. Say it with me. Yes. <laughs> okay. He is. Why? Because he's a good cop. That's why. And the law does not care where you were speeding off to. It cares whether or not you broke the law. And in fact, if you go on to explain to the officer, well, not only am I on my way to church, but I've done a lot of good stuff. I mean, I bought 17 dozen Rescue 33 donuts. Supported that place, okay? I buy Girl Scout cookies. I give to St. Jude. I'm a good person. Besides that, I'm a member in good standing at Chillicothe Bible Church. Okay, is he going to let you off then? No. Well, what about all the good things you've done? Doesn't that count for anything? Yeah, it counts, but not with the officer. Because he doesn't care about all that good stuff. It doesn't counterbalance the fact that you were doing 89 and a 65. Okay? You violated the law. Now that example is kind of funny, but what if you go with something more serious? What if you have been arrested and convicted of murder and in fact you're guilty? And you go to the sentencing hearing and you explain to the judge... Judge, I understand that I've been convicted, and in fact, I am guilty of murder. But, I want you to hear my extenuating circumstances. First of all, this is the first person I have ever murdered. And I'm not planning on murdering anyone else. And on top of that, my mother is sick and in the nursing home, and I visit her twice a week. And I call 
my sick father every Sunday afternoon, and we talked for two hours. And besides that, I give a lot of money to church. And besides that, I walk every little old lady I see across the street, make sure she makes it okay. And, you know, I volunteer at the hospital, and, um, you know, I did put that one guy in there. But, you know, apart from that, I've been a really good person. If you're standing before a good judge, what's he going to do? He's going to pronounce sentence. Bang the gavel down. Pronounce you guilty. And sentence you, if he's really just, to death. For having committed murder, right? And the Bible says that sin's penalty is equally serious to murder. That it merits the death penalty every single So if it's true that God loves us, but it's also true that God is just and that He is a good judge, and therefore He does not take into account all the good things that you have done, but only the ways in which you have violated the law, what are you and I looking forward to? We are looking forward to death and hell. But, and this is, this is where the best news that you could possibly ever know comes in. This is where the Easter story fits in. This finger, right here. Jesus Christ. This finger represents Jesus Christ because the Bible says that, just I've got a ring finger here, I've got a ring on this finger. It represents the fact that I am the bridegroom of Karen Snow. And she married me, right? And, when, and I am her bridegroom. Well, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the bridegroom of all those whom he, has, he loves and has offered his life for. The Bible says some, some very unique things about Jesus Christ. It says that he, first of all, is fully human. That he is fully human. That he lived a, a fully human life. That he dwelt among us as a fully human person with a fully human nature, a fully human body. He got tired. He needed to sleep. He needed to eat. He wept. He had friendships. He was betrayed. He, had, he was broken hearted. Uh, he enjoyed life. But it also says that he was fully God at the same time. It says of him, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Jesus Christ is God's final Word to us. And he speaks to us as God when he speaks. That he is both God and man. And that in his death on the cross. He paid the penalty for sin. That you and I owed. See the the reality of it is. If you're a human being. What you need. Is a human being. To die in your place. The problem is. Is that it has to be a perfect human being. To be a, 
an adequate substitute. Otherwise, he dies for his own sin and not for yours. Because the penalty for sin is death. And so God, in his great love, sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for sin for you and me, to be our substitute, and to purchase our place in heaven that we could be with him forever. That Jesus Christ died not as a martyr, not as a, not as a, a failed leader of a cause, but as the Son of God who, who died that you and I might have a substitute that perfectly covers our sin with his death. That God's justice and his love meet in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. That because of God's love, he sends Jesus and his justice, the penalty his justice required is satisfied by Jesus' death instead of yours. And some, because someone has to cry out, I thirst and cry out forsaken. Either you and I will cry out in hell, I thirst, and cry out to God, why have you forsaken me? Or Jesus has to cry out on your behalf from the cross. And because of that, because Jesus has cried out for you and I, we can have life. We can have eternal life as a free gift, a free ride, if you will, all the way to heaven. But the way you get it is very unique. This little finger. This little finger, the reason why you picked the little finger on this is this. Because you only have to have a little bit of faith. In fact, the Bible says, if you have faith like a mustard seed. How big are those? Teeny tiny. Okay, little bitty. Uh, then you can enter into the kingdom of God. But I want to talk to you for just a second about what, what saving faith is and isn't. Let me tell you what it isn't first. It isn't just head knowledge. It isn't, in other words, an acknowledgement of certain facts about Jesus Christ. It isn't, it isn't uh, knowing that Jesus Christ was a real guy who really lived who really died on a cross 2,000 years ago, and who really did rise from the dead. There are a lot of people who know that. And in fact, everybody ought to know that because those are historical facts. In fact, even secular historians, even people who are not Christians in any sense, know that, that Jesus was real, that he really lived, that he really was crucified, and then something happened a couple days later that they can't quite explain. The best explanation for it is that he, in fact, rose from the dead, just as the, the disciples and the early church said that he did. In fact, it's the only explanation that makes any sense. But knowing that, simply acknowledging, yeah, that, that happened historically, is not saving faith. And neither is it saving faith to have faith in Jesus kind of on a temporary basis, kind of as needed. You know, like the, uh, like the roadside assistance kit in the back of your car, you know, that is there, but you hope you never need it or have to use it, you know. Um, you know, a lot of people have faith in God kind of like that, and they believe in Jesus kind of on that basis. They go, well, you know, if I get in a jam, 
then I'll cry out to Jesus, and hopefully he'll do something for me. You know, like if, if we're going down in an airplane, and just, you know, about eight seconds before impact, I'll cry out. And, and see, you know, if God will save me somehow in, on that basis. Or, you know, I'm out of a job, so I need to get back to church and start praying. Because, you know, I mean, uh, I'm going to not eat this next, this next month if that doesn't happen, right? It's not faith like that. It's faith like this. It's faith like, imagine that you're out in the middle of the ocean in a dinghy with no oars and you're out there with no way of getting to shore and you think to yourself well I guess I better start paddling and so you, so you lean over the side and start kind of doing your thing right and pretty soon your arms are getting tired except this here's the problem here's the other thing that you're doing every time that you sin what you're doing is you're taking a power drill and cutting yourself a hole in the boat. Paddling your way. Oh, well, I sinned again. Cut another hole. Okay, pretty soon you're taking on water. In fact, you're taking on a lot of water. And the Bible says that that's what our condition is like, apart from Jesus Christ. That we're like people with no way of getting to shore in a boat that we're cutting holes in all the time. And along comes Jesus Christ in a luxury liner. And he says to you and I, would you like a ride? I can get you all the way to shore, and I can get you there in style. And what faith is, is deciding that I'm going to abandon my busted, broken down taken on water dinghy and climb aboard the Queen Elizabeth with Jesus. And what you're doing is you're transferring control of your life over to Him. And you're putting your trust in Jesus' death and resurrection as paying the penalty for your sin and purchasing your place in heaven for you, which you could not earn and do not deserve. And if you will put your trust in Jesus Christ like that, to transfer control of your life over to Him, to abandon what you were doing before and entrust yourself wholly to Him, then you receive salvation as a free gift. And it only takes this much faith. But it does take faith where you believe in Jesus Christ as your only hope. And cling to him. Let me ask you. Do you have saving faith? Do you know Jesus Christ personally? Have you transferred control over your life to him. And believed in his death and resurrection. As the only means that God accepts. To pay the penalty for your sin. And, in, and gain you entry into heaven as a free gift. If not. You don't, if you don't know how to answer that question, let me ask you a couple of other questions. Number one, what is stopping you from doing that right now? The Bible says today 
if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and saying to you, you do not have saving faith, and inviting you to put your trust in him right now, will you receive that free gift right now, today? Today is the day of salvation according to the scripture. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Amen. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and know for sure what will happen to you when you die. Know for sure. On the other hand, if you are sitting out there, and I know this reflects a lot of us, and we know for sure what will happen to us when we die. We know that Jesus Christ is our Savior, and we have put our trust in Him, and we have transferred control of our life over to Him, and we said, take my life, Lord, it ain't much, but it's all I got. I'll give it all to you. If you have done that, then we have another responsibility, don't we? Who are we going to tell about what has happened to us? We still want to reach 2018 people by 2018, year in. And we have the opportunity to do that here at Chillicothe Bible Church. But only if you and I will take seriously our responsibility to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light, who bought us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of God's dear Son, who paid the penalty for our sin and purchased a place for us in heaven, who gave us His Word, who gave us the Holy Spirit to empower and equip us and to seal us with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and to mark us as part of the family of God. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Amen? Say amen. Amen. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And one of the blessings we have is that we have been entrusted as people who have been reconciled to God with the message of reconciliation, of telling people that God has made a way through Jesus Christ to make peace with Him and to know for certain where we will go when we die. That death becomes not a fearful thing, but a wonderful thing that we look forward to as promotion day. That we look forward to knowing that Jesus Christ, when we open our eyes on that great getting up morning, that when we open our eyes, we will see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come enjoy your master's happiness. Amen? We have this privilege. So today, let's sing and let's pray and let's worship God. And let's enjoy our family and eat bratwurst or whatever it is you do on Sunday afternoon, right? And then tomorrow... Let's go out and let's proclaim Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead that our sin might be covered and our penalty paid and our heaven purchased. Amen? Let's pray.
God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that through his death and resurrection, we have the redemption and the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit as a seal, guaranteeing our inheritance for eternity. Father, we have a tremendous privilege of not only receiving salvation, but offering salvation to all, all over the world. Black and white, and red and yellow, all are precious in your sight. Every single fellow. All over the world. Every tribe and nation and tongue and people. Across the street, across town, across the shop floor, in our offices. Wherever we find ourselves, wherever you have planted us, Father, you have given us a responsibility to proclaim the salvation we possess. And Father, we thank you for that privilege. We pray that we would overcome our fears and that we would be strong and courageous and go boldly with the message of the gospel. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.